Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Hello, gardeners. Hi, everyone. We're going to answer some questions today. We have a surprise episode for you. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this. This is one of the reasons why we wanted to start the podcast, so that we could answer listener questions. And you guys have sent them. So we aren't going to answer every question we've gotten today, but we're going to answer a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Most of them perfect for spring. Yes. It's a great time to do it. Oh, I'm so happy it's spring. Me too. Oh, it's going to be a great time. All right. So I will start. I'm going to read a question from Katie. Katie says, hello, Bloombox friends. I've been listening to the podcast and have a follow-up question. I have a couple of flower beds that have soil that is practically like Play-Doh. I have had success with the things I have planted there, but this will only be the second spring. After listening to the podcast, I now know how to improve the soil. When I first planted the area, I put down paper mulch and bark type mulch. Eventually, I would like to have enough ground cover planted that the mulch is no longer necessary. Same goals, Katie. I am all about leaving the leaves, but should I pull up the mulch paper to allow all of that to get to the soil? Thanks for your help. Best, Katie. Okay, Katie, you have the same problem that a lot of us have planting around our houses, especially that foundation where, you know... As frustrating as it is to us gardeners, we do want our houses to have sturdy foundations. So it's pretty compacted and it can be pretty clayey too. So I did ask a clarifying question from Katie about this mulch paper um, because I wasn't sure exactly what she meant. And she does mean that black weed barrier paper. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Because the way she said it, I was like, maybe it's something biodegradable. And in that case, let's leave it. But that black paper. Like landscape cloth. Yes, I would call that landscape fabric Yeah, or weed barrier. Mm-hmm. That's what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. And that stuff doesn't degrade. Oh my gosh, it doesn't degrade and it doesn't work. Yesterday I was working in the garden and I have some down around my raised bed right. be- for that I put pea gravel on so that I don't have to uh, mow right up against the raised beds. And so I was cleaning that up, getting it ready And there's just grass growing straight up through that. Lovely. (laughs) So, you know, to each their own, but it doesn't work for me. Right. And if you're like trying to rely on mulch and your plants to improve your soil, then it really it's it is a barrier. So like leaving the leaves is great for improving that heavy clay soil, but for it to work, it has to reach the soil. So my first recommendation was to Katie to remove that black paper and it sounded like she was gonna head out and do that perfect uh after that honestly she's doing everything else that i would encourage her to do she's leaving the leaves she's letting the plants do the work she's planning to keep the ground covered with plants so i think she's right on the right track she just needs to get that paper out Mm -hmm. you're doing it all right katie Keep up the good work. Yes. And send us some pictures this summer when it starts blooming. Yes, please do. Okay. Our second question is from Sherry. And Sherry says, hi, Sarah and Hannah. I absolutely love your podcast. I bought a house three years ago and have been slowly researching and buying native plants. My yard is a big blank canvas. So deciding what to plant where has been a bit overwhelming. It is so helpful to have Bloombox and podcast advice that follows the growing season. 
I was going to go out today and start prepping my gardens, but now that I listened to the latest episode, I'll wait till April and find some other things to do. I do have a couple questions for you. I have planted a couple things that just aren't thriving and need to be moved. Should I wait until April to move my plants? She did send this question a little while ago and I got her an answer right away, but we wanted to uh, talk about when to move plants. And mostly because I walked in this morning and said, Sarah, I moved my goldenrod yesterday. Was I wrong? (laughs) Just too late to ask because I already did it. What do you think, Sarah? Well, I think you told me the right question would have been to follow up with her and say, when did you plant those things that aren't thriving? Right. And I think that was a very wise way to approach this question. Yeah, because I do think you you need to make sure you give them enough time to really establish. Um, I mean, trees in particular, you see this with when, you know, when you plant a new tree and it doesn't grow vertically for a couple of years sometimes, or maybe just a little bit. And then like the third or fourth year, it'll just shoot up. And that's because it's been working on establishing and perennials are are the same way. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure and give it a little time. Now, if you need to move it anyways, regardless of if it's going to do well there or not, then I guess. Yeah, if you need to move this plant, regardless of how it's doing, then honestly, the earlier, the better. Mm -hmm. Um, Even, I mean, if you move it the day after you plant it, you're not even going to tear any roots when you replant. So for plant health, that's fine. But we just thought this is something you planted in the fall and it had one month to grow and didn't look exactly the way you hoped. It might be that it needs just a little more time to establish before you decide that it's not thriving. But if it's not thriving or it needs to move, the earlier the better um, Mm -hmm. before it's got a huge root system. And you never know what you're going to find. Last year, I had a coneflower plant that was not doing well. It would would flower and then it would just get all droopy and the flowers would fall over. I sent a picture out to all the staffs that they could help me figure out what was wrong with it. And so I decided I was going to move it, see if that was the problem. It was just in a bad spot. And once I dug it up, I found that the roots had root rot. It was all oh. kinds of. So I ended up just getting rid of that because you don't want to transplant that. Um, so you never know what you're going to find. And it helped me realize, oh, this soil needs a little bit of work in this spot. Right. Um, and then as far as time of year, this is a great time of year to be moving plants. And even when Cherry originally sent this, it was, I think, late March. And I told her to go ahead Um I like to move stuff in early spring because it's cool and before the plant has a lot of green leaves, there's going to be a lot less stress on the plant. And then um, plant roots start growing before we see the tops growing. So it the earlier we move stuff, the more chance that it has to get those roots settled before it gets really hot. Now on the flip side, I don't really like to move perennials late into the fall. Um, I like to I like them to have you know, at least a few weeks to get their roots established before it gets too cold. So I like to do early spring moving. And I would just make sure it still feels so weird to give this advice in the spring. (laughs) But this year, I would make sure that you're giving them at least a drink when you transplant. And if we don't get some rain, at least a drink once a week for the next couple weeks while that plant settles into it. It helps settle the soil around the plant, not just water the plant. It really helps settle it in to its new home Um, yeah that was gonna be my next tip too and actually when I transplant I like using my um 
watering can. Yeah. As opposed to a high blast hose or something like that that's going to disturb it. So I just water can right on top, real nice and delicate. And let it kind of settle mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Let it soak. Because uh, something that's important is that roots, for them to take in water, they need soil contact. So they will, you know, grow into the soil and get that for themselves. But right away, if you water that soil in, it makes sure that the soil is touching the roots and there's gets rid of all the air pockets in there. That's they could settle so later. Cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Science. Yes. And use <laughs> the water, not your foot. When we start like stomping around our plants, then we end up with like, you know, the other problem of too much compaction. <laughs> all right. Our next question is from Tim. It's a short one this time. Tim says, I've been enjoying the podcast. I seem to be finding conflicting information about pruning lead plants. If I should cut them down, how low? Thanks, Tim, who has five bloom boxes and will soon have six. Yay, Tim. Tim has sent some excellent questions over the years, even before the podcast. So uh, the reason you're finding conflicting information, Tim, is because there are different ways to handle lead plant. So it's not like one way's wrong and somebody's spreading bad information. There's just some different approaches to this plant. And lead plant, can you remind us about lead plants yeah, so a little bit? Lead plant is amorphocanescens, and there's also amorphanana, which is dwarf lead plant, and they actually look quite a bit different. We're talking about amorphocanescens, so lead plant, and it's a really cool prairie native. I want some. It's, it's got, so neat. Oh, it's got the funkiest flowers. They're kind of like, they kind of look like your hand if you cup your hand with all your fingers pointing up it's just like this spidery purple it's just so cool you just need to go look up a picture of it ultraviolet yes yes it is a slow to establish plant so it's one that requires a little patience um to give it time to really like come into its own and and look good in the garden and it's also a little bit of a wilder shape of plant it's one of those things we classify as semi-woody um it's technically a perennial but some of those stems do re-sprout in the spring so it's not something we cut back to the ground every fall but if you're trying to keep it in like a really tidy shape you might cut it back pretty heavily so that every year what you're really seeing is new growth if you're trying to grow it a little bit bigger you might do something like cutting it back every two or three years or only cutting it back by half so that you get a bigger size but you still get maybe um, a garden friendly shape versus a grassland friendly shape but i would if you have a very recently planted lead plant i'd give it two or three years to mature first so that it can handle that pruning and so that you kind of get an idea what the plant looks like because it is just a little slower to come into its full shape and size and when you say cut back a third or half of it do you mean half the stems cut everything back halfway Uh, good (laughs) question um i didn't think about that So when I say cut back by a third or a half, that's at the end of the fall, take note of how big that plant is, and you're going to cut every stem back in half. So take the whole plant down to half of its size. Does that that make sense? That makes sense to me. Answers my question. Great. Uh, Now we have our first audio question from Heather. We'll play it for you, and then we'll answer it. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Hannah. I have a question about mulching in the spring. I know that all the benefits of mulch, but I'm just not 
sure what to do with my old mulch. Do I keep it? Do I turn it under? I typically use untreated wood mulch, which I really like for the aesthetics in the front of our house, but I'm just not sure. And then another question I have related to mulch is in the back, I've been mulching with compost. Do you think that's good enough? Or should I be using wood mulch in the back as I get my garden started? Um, Thank you very much. Okay, well, thank you, Heather, for your question. So we're going to start with what to do every year with your mulch. Now, my answer would be that um, some of it's naturally going to break down, some of it's going to wash away, some of it's going to get turned into the soil as you garden. So you're probably, depending on kind of what aesthetic you're going for, and whether it's like a vegetable garden or a perennial garden that you're trying to grow in, some of those uh, garden weavers we got going on, right, to help do a living mulch. But if you want to have that like good visible mulch aesthetic, then you're probably gonna have to add mulch every year. Um, You don't have to scrape off the old mulch. I would just add to it, making sure that you don't get it too thick. Uh, You don't, especially around our native perennials, you don't want a lot of mulch um, because you do need some things to be able to get to the soil. So that would be my answer there. I get a I get a pile of mulch every year and I mulch my new beds, of course, um, and my my vegetable garden. But really my perennials, my native, my pollinator gardens, I usually don't. I think my bloom box garden, which is on year four, I don't have to add any mulch to anymore. So it varies depending on what you're growing and where. Yeah, I agree. I think the the big question I heard here is, yeah, that first year after you plant a garden is your biggest mulch push. It takes mm-hmm. the most. I mean, you're trying to put down two to three inches of new mulch. And that's a lot. But every subsequent year, you're going to put in a little bit less. You don't need to remove anything, but definitely do not put that full two to three inches on like you did when the garden was new. You're just adding enough to fill in, you know, if a spot washed away in a heavy rain or a spot decomposed faster. You're just adding a little freshening up. Mm -hmm. Uh, So your second question, Heather, was about mulching with compost. And I did ask some clarifying questions on this. She has a maple tree with some high roots and was using compost to um, try to mulch around that to create the chance to plant in there. And so we talked about how compost isn't mulch. So compost is 100% organic matter. It's plant food um, and a soil amendment, but it is still going to continue to decompose in the garden. So it really only adds, you know, height or cover for a very short amount of time. And it's not cover in the way that mulch is to protect from erosion and water loss. And weed infiltration. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Compost will make that worse. Yes. So compost isn't mulch. So you do, if you do have a situation where you need to mulch and improve the soil, then I would put down a little bit of compost and then cover that in mulch. They're, they are two different things that do two different jobs. Um, but then we ended up talking a little bit more about this maple tree situation. Um, so her frustration was that the tree roots were really close to the surface and they couldn't keep grass growing. And that's just 
um, typical of a maple. They have really shallow roots and you don't want to bury those. They're, the tree is designed to have shallow roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're probably not going to get grass to grow under that. That's why when we plant trees, we recommend other plants or just a really wide mulch mm-hmm. area. Yeah, we typically recommend when you plant a tree that your mulch ring extends to the drip line of the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and the drip line is, you know, at the edge of the leaves. Like if you think of the tree canopy being a roof where the rain would drip down off of. So we talked about how, you know, covering those roots is not going to be great for the health of the tree. So maybe an alternate approach would be to take some sedges and plug them into the bigger gaps between the roots. <laughs> That'd be so cute. It would be so cute. <laughs> and so woodlandy. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's what you see if you're walking through the woods in a spot where the, mm-hmm. the canopy is super dense and there's not a lot of plant cover on the ground. You'd see these little tufts of sedges in between the tree roots. Yep. Protecting from erosion and and then not not giving that gigantic mulch bed look, which... Right. Isn't my favorite either. Yeah, because if you have an old tree and it's got a 20-foot crown spread, you're not going to mulch 20 feet around it. uh, Well, people do. It's not my aesthetic choice. (laughs) I would like to fill that in with plants. Um, Because, you know, turf grass might not grow well there, but there are plants that will and will look very nice. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, we don't want to be burying our our shallow-rooted trees. All right. Our next question comes from Bill, who starts out saying, I will shamelessly admit I have been enjoying the Bloombox podcast. And I wrote back to him and said, there's no shame in that. That's why we're doing it. There's no shame. He says, it's great to have a gardening podcast specific to Nebraska. And I get excited when I see a new episode has dropped. I have a few questions. Question number one, the state is usually divided into east and west in terms of climate and what plants will grow well there. I live in Grand Island, and I'm not sure what side that puts me on. Or does the central part of Nebraska get a little more wiggle room to go one way or the other? Okay, so I usually split Nebraska based on precipitation and soil type. And really, when you look at it, yeah, we split into east and west. But even in the west, you know, south and north within the state has very different as well because if you get into like the southwest corner under the panhandle that's very different than Shadron, mm-hmm. right so if you're looking for a good divider i mean normally we do about carney that's where we split mm-hmm. just because it's easy yeah <laughs> But then really when we're talking about what to plant and how to plant it and when to plant, um, you're using your own soil, precipitation, although if you're going to irrigate, precipitation doesn't matter quite as much, and then your temperatures. Mm -hmm. I like to look, if you go on Google Maps and put it in satellite view, you can kind of see it's sort of a diagonal line. It's not a straight north-south line. It's kind of a northeast to southwest line where the soil changes into the sand hills. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a gradual change that kind of starts around Grand Island. Um, yeah, Grand Island's kind of the access point of that diagonal line. Um, but it's a gradual change. And so you're exactly right, Bill, that that central area does get a little bit of wiggling back and forth where, especially in town, um, I would put Grain Island solidly in east because you're you're in eastern Nebraska in terms of precipitation and you've got an urban soil. So 
I would say you're solidly, if you're looking at NSA's plant list, you're looking at the eastern Nebraska plant list. Now, if you are north of Grand Island, up in the farmland, and you've got native um, sandy soils, you may be looking at kind of both lists. Um, you're probably not going to actually take some of the really, really western species that want it you know, high and dry all the time, but you're also, there's going to be things we plant in Lincoln that aren't going to thrive for you. So it really, um, you know, political boundaries do not necessarily care about ecological boundaries. So unfortunately there's not like this real nice answer we can give you where exactly at Kearney every time that's Western (laughs) Nebraska. Um, it takes a little bit of finessing. And Kearney don't add us. We know you're not Western Nebraska. It's okay. (laughs) All right. So Bill's second question, I am all about changing some of my lawn to garden beds. Yes, me too, Bill. But I have an underground sprinkler system. Should I just cap off the sprinkler heads or would, oh, sorry, should I just cap off the sprinkler heads that would be in the new garden or should I raise the heads up so they can broadcast over the new plants? Okay, so the probably the like perfect answer to this question is cap them off. However, um, we're all about being sustainable for you, the person, too. And if there's water in your garden, let's use the water that's <laughs> in your garden. So I would keep those sprinkler heads for establishment purposes. I would be careful that you're not, nece- you know, if you run your grass irrigation on a timer, you may need to take that section off the timer and run it a little more manually because I don't know anything about Bill's style of grass irrigation, but uh, some people irrigate their grass quite a bit more heavily than, you know, a native plant garden needs. I would definitely keep those sprinkler heads close to the ground though. Even if you continue to use them as the plants get larger, you want to be watering plants as close to the ground as possible, um, both for the purpose of not losing water to um, evaporation. You know, the higher we spray water into the air, the less and less ends up actually on our gardens. And also the aesthetic of your garden will look better watered from the ground. When we overhead water our perennial plants, we end up with some flopping issues and some, you know, flower rot issues and different things like that. So we always mildew. Yeah. We want to water as close to the ground as possible. I would probably use those sprinklers you know, this year for establishment. And then I think I'd probably cap them off and, you know, hand water in times of drought. I like to establish my gardens with a soaker hose, but, you know, I would absolutely use a sprinkler if it pre-existed. Yeah, I think same thing. As long as you can control that section of it Mm -hmm. so that it's not irrigating the same as your lawn. Yeah, that would be my long-term concern is that if you do keep those, you need to take it off the timer and run it manually as needed because it's going to need quite a bit less water than your lawn. And how often do you recommend watering when you're establishing? For establishment, I like to water every other day for a week and then once a week for the for a month. Maybe that's not perfect, but it's it's an easy recommendation to remember and it will get the job done. And then after that, I honestly, you know, I back off completely and I water only if things need it. There's different schools of thought on that. And also, I am in eastern Nebraska. Yeah. If you're in western Nebraska, that every week establishment may last two months. All right. Bill's last question is a good one and a tough one for us to answer um, because of where we work. So he asks, I have some projects in mind that will need professional landscaping. 
Are there any resources for finding a landscaping company that works primarily with native plants? My recommendation is to reach out to our friends over at NNLA, and you don't even have to reach out to them. You can just go to their website, and you can find um, a landscape business in your area that uh, then you can call and you can ask them about their experience with native plants. And I should be clear, NNLA stands for Nebraska Nursery and Landscape Association. And we will put that link in the show notes. We don't because we work in you know, public service, we don't recommend specific um, companies very often unless, you know, it's a really, really specific need that we know somebody is the only person who can fulfill. We like to promote all landscaping companies to the best of our ability. So just be prepared with, with some questions to ask to make sure that you're on the same page in terms of what Native is, um, how you intend to design and care for this garden. And that goes for you know, any type of landscaping, even if it's not natives, you, you are interviewing the landscaper just as much as they're taking on your project. You want to make sure the two of you think similarly, or at least can be on the same page. Mm -hmm. So that that's the best source, I think, in Nebraska to go to. And I'm sure if you're not in Nebraska for, I know Bill is, but for those of you who aren't, I'm sure there are other uh, associations for your state that you could Google. All right. Well, that was fun. Yay, we made it through some questions. We got some great ones, so please keep sending them. We'll do this every so often. We'll just, you know, pop in with a surprise episode and answer. I do try to make sure everybody gets, you know, an email answer to these questions. So the folks who who sent their questions back in February and March did not have to wait this long to get an answer. So we just want to share their questions with everyone. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum.